Welcome to the Whole Life Healing Podcast with Dr. Alexander Lloyd, best-selling author and founder of the Revolutionary Healing Codes Technique. Each week, Dr. Alex shares principles and methods from psychology, energy medicine, natural medicine, and spirituality to help you reduce stress, heal emotional and physical issues, and remove the barriers that hold you back from happiness and success. Join us as we learn to live our happiest, healthiest, and most successful lives. Here's Dr. Alex. Hi, Dr. Alex here. If you like the show today or any day, I would love it if you took about 10 seconds to go to iTunes and leave a review for the show. I've been doing this for about 14 years now, and I spend hundreds of hours every year in preparation and recording the show. And if you like it, if it's worth your time, if you think it might benefit others, I would love it if you could leave a review to recommend to your friends or just recommend it to your friends that could benefit from listening to the show. Thank you so very much. Since we are going to be talking about issues of health and well-being, we wanted to make sure that you understand that this information is not intended to cure or heal anything. Everything in the presentations is the opinion of Alex Lloyd. You should always check with a licensed healthcare provider about any specific health concern you may have. Hi, I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd and welcome to Deep Water. Uh, I wanted to discuss abortion for a few minutes today and um, try as best I can, which is what I, I'm trying to do in all of these, to look at all angles of an issue, not just one or two, not just the way I was brought up, not what I believe, but all angles, all right? And again, I'm not doing these to say this is the way this issue is. I'm saying this is my two cents. Let's start talking about it in love and respect and integrity and kindness instead of discussing, which is a nice way. It's usually yelling or cursing um, as far as, and there's really no discussion. It's just two people disagreeing with each other and neither being open to other beliefs. I, I, I don't want to do that here, all right? Um, this is listed as uh, by a number of rating uh, poll kind of things as the number one controversial issue in the world. Um, some other poll places list something else as number one. But most of them that I found listed this as the number one controversial issue in the world. So if we're going to talk about deep water, we've got to talk about number one, don't we? All right, so uh, first, just uh, a couple of statistics. 18% um, of all pregnancies in the United States end in abortion. 18%. Um, in 1973, when abor abortion was first legalized with Roe v. Wade, uh, it was 16.3%. So in almost 50 years, we've gone from 16.3% to 18%. It's been up and down um, since that time. 24% of all women, by the time they get to age 45, will have had at least one abortion, 
and the um, number of abortions in the United States each year, 862,000 approximately last year. And since Roe v. Wade was legalized, 38,400,000 babies aborted. Pretty staggering numbers. Uh, Let me share a couple of my thoughts about this, and then we'll look at um, five or six of what I think are the big issues related to this discussion. Um, First of all, I've been working with um, in counseling, therapy, coaching for over 30 years now. Um, I'm told I built the largest practice in the world with clients in 50 states, 173 countries. Uh, Bottom line, I've worked with a lot of people and the coaches that I've trained, over a thousand of them, have worked with a lot of people. So uh, I, I try to draw on all that experience to, in order to discuss these issues, okay? And here's what I'll say. I think the hardest issue I've ever worked with with an individual, and there have been a bunch of them for me, is the tragic unexpected death of a child. I'm not talking about abortion. I'm talking about a two-year-old, a six-month-old, a ten-year-old unexpectedly and tragically dying. Uh, I've never worked with anything more painful than that. Um, It was extremely painful for me, and it wasn't my child, obviously. But um, what I will say is that with the women that I've worked with who have had abortions in the past, that would be the number two most painful situation that I've dealt with in working with clients over 30 years is a female looking back on the abortion they had and feeling basically haunted by it. And that's the big issue. They can't seem to ever get by in their life with tremendous guilt and shame and stuff. And and for many of them, that's decades later um, and a total reversal sometimes of how they felt previously. And even with a lot of them, it really surprised them that they were feeling that way. But there have been a number of clients like that where basically every time we talked, it was just a challenge because they were weeping so much that we couldn't hardly get anything done. Um, This is also a personal issue to me. Um, I'm the youngest of three boys. After the second boy, uh, who is my brother and is six years older than me, my mom was told by the doctors to never get pregnant again. That if she became pregnant again and carried a child for any length of time, she would die because of a medical condition that she had um, that caused great complications with the second birth. 
And they said, it's not you might die, it's you will die. So don't ever get pregnant again. So my mom and dad took steps, uh, I don't think I have to explain those, to make sure they would never get pregnant again. And I'm told by my brothers that when my mom became pregnant with me, the first thing she said is, that's not possible. Now, I'm not claiming an immaculate conception or anything like that. I'm just relaying the truth as I know it. Now, my mom's been dead a long time now. But anyway, um, said that's impossible. Then the doctor said, okay, it's happened, water under the bridge, we need to abort the baby now in order to save your life, which is the only way it was legal back then. And my mom said, I would rather die. And so uh, she did not abort me, obviously, carried me the next nine months. Every day she experienced the highs of, of her love for me and basically giving her life for me and the lows of, I've got six months to live, three months to live, a week to live. I mean, just, you know, I was born with all kinds of defects that I think came from both the medications where they were trying to save her life and my mom's uh, up and down panic and fear and worry and uh, all that sort of thing, okay? Um, and yes, I'm... Very glad that my mom did not abort me. Um, it makes me think of things like, you know, the story that um, Hitler's mom actually went to abort him, but then changed her mind. And how would that have changed the world? But then there's the other side of the coin, too, which is what if Albert Einstein's mom had aborted him? Or Ronald Reagan, or, or Barack Obama, or, you know... Gandhi, uh, um, Martin Luther King, etc. I mean, um, you can't think about all of that stuff with an open mind and heart and not have very strong feelings and opinions and even pains when you just imagine certain things like that, okay? Um, so this is a... This is one that's, that is very, very personal to me. And the number two most painful thing I've observed in the life of other people that I have worked with to try to um, help them be healthy and happy. Okay, now let's look at five issues that I think are relevant to this discussion that maybe are not all in the uh, mainstream. Um, Number one is that the Bible and religious text forbid abortion. Um, I believe in God. I, Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus in my life. It's the most important thing in my life. Uh, I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Um, I believe there are errors and mis- uh, interpretations in there, but I believe the basic story is a love letter from God to us and is true, okay? Well, so many people believe that the Bible or the, the Jewish Torah forbid 
abortion. And in fact, they never speak of abortion. All right? There are two passages that um, have most often been quoted as being relevant to this discussion. One in Deuteronomy, uh, where it says that if two men are fighting and the wife of one man trying to help her husband in the fight grabs the testicles of the other man and squeezes hard in order to help her husband in the fight, that they should cut off the wife's hands that grab the man's testicles and crush them. Uh, another passage in Deuteronomy says that if uh, two men are fighting and there's a pregnant woman there and one of them accidentally hits the pregnant woman and causes a miscarriage, that if, if the baby is born without any serious uh, health problems related to that, then the man who hit her is fined. And he's fined whatever the husband decides the fine should be. Okay? If the baby is harmed, then the rule is a life for a life. Okay? So, as best I can tell, those are the passages from the Bible and the Torah that are most relevant to this, but neither one of them address abortion. Okay? So at best, those are kind of peripheral. Now, you could say, I believe, very truthfully, that um, the Bible and virtually all religious texts place a high premium value on human life. And whatever you're doing in regard to human life, it needs to be very seriously thought out because human life has to be at the very top of what we value. And our laws and all that stuff should reflect that. I do believe that's true, but the Bible never specifically addresses it. And, and, and for the Old Testament passages that talk about all this stuff, where you, you're supposed to be killed for all kinds of stuff, you know, not just, not just uh, if you cause a miscarriage, but there's all sorts of things in the Old Testament. If you do, you're supposed to be killed. Some of them we consider absolutely ridiculous today. But then in the New Testament, God says this is the new covenant, and that's where Jesus says, love your enemies. If someone hits you, turn the other cheek. If they ask for your coat, give it to them. Love your enemies. So there's a 180 reversal, basically, from old law to new law, religiously, um, in relation to, in the old law, man, if the woman grabs his testicles, chop her hand off. If it costs a life, it's an eye for a nine, a tooth for a tooth, take their life. Where the New Testament, you don't see that kind of rhetoric. It's, it's um, love your enemies. Pray for those who are mean to you and make fun of you and criticize you, etc. Alright? So, I believe the Bible and religious texts do support the high premium on, on life, but they do not address specifically abortion. Number two is a um, discussion and belief out there that women are coerced 
into having an abortion. That if it had just been left up to them, uh, they may not have chose that. A 2004 study found that um, 64% of, of women who had an abortion did it for one reason. And when they were asked what that reason was, only 0.5%, 0.5, half of 1%, 0.5% said their decision was determined by parents or a significant other. 0.5, less than 1%, all right? Well, what are the other factors besides their parents or significant other that they're basing that decision on? They said it was for one reason, but not what others are saying. Well, that makes me think it's internal. Either they, they just feel it's the right thing to do, where they may be right, may not be right, or they're doing it out of fear, which I think happens all the time. And not just abortion out of fear, but almost everything where we humans get ourselves into trouble um, comes from being afraid of something. And I believe a lot of abortions do too. Uh, number three, you often hear that abortions are really dangerous. Well, it's just not true. Um, going back to 1973, uh, there are 8.8% deaths of per 100,000 um, abortions. 8.8 .8 deaths related to the mom per 100,000 abortions. All right? Got that number in your head? Well, if you continue the abortion to term and have the baby, the odds of death are 12 to 14 times higher for the mom than if you had the abortion. So if we do go to that argument that we're concerned about the lives of women, well, the riskier thing is to take the, the pregnancy to term. The surer bet as far as the mortality life of the mom is abortion. Okay? Like, not, not like my mom, because my mom had a serious health problem, but still the same situation even without a health problem. Uh, fourth issue is that there are too many abortions. Okay? Um, Naomi Wolf wrote famously um, an amazing capsulization to me of, of, of this. And what she wrote and sort of coined the term was this. It was such a good Chardonnay abortion. And in this, in this discussion and argument, um, we're hard on abortion as being wrong and if you do it, you're wrong and all that sort of thing. But what about the careless mom? It was the it, for for those abortions that are a it was such a good Chardonnay abortion, and that's really the only reason for it. Is there any responsibility 
by the mom for, you might say, um, being careless. Uh, today, we have better contraceptives and, and things to prevent unwanted pregnancy than we have ever had, and there's more coming all the time. So, to become pregnant and then cause a death because, well, I just messed up and that isn't really what I'm wanting to do, but the, the consequences of that are the death of a living thing. I'm not going into where a fetus is a person yet or not, but it's still a living thing. It results in the death of a living thing from nothing more than one person's carelessness. Now, I'm not saying that's true of all abortions, but the um, it was such a good Chardonnay abor uh, abortion, I am. And so, if we're going to be hard on abortion and hard on pro-life, I think we've also got to take a look at at the responsibility of young ladies and women um, when there are such easy, easy, easy methods available to prevent that death from ever having to happen, in my opinion. Um, a fifth thing about abortion as I was researching is that it's racist. Okay, In 2011, there was a billboard in Times Square, New York that said the most dangerous place for an African-American baby is in the womb. Uh, in Texas, there was a similar billboard um, showing an unborn African-American fetus and labeling it as an endangered species. And both of these billboards come from the place that the abortion rate with African-Americans or black Americans, you know, however you like to be addressed if, if you are of that race, um, the point is that it's so much higher among that race than any other race. And that, in and of itself, makes it a, makes it a racist issue. Okay? That's one of the arguments out there. I do not believe it's a racist issue because that rules out the judgment of African-American moms, of African-American young ladies, and, and it, it disregards the situation they might be in that's very different, maybe, from someone in a different racial situation, okay? And maybe if the person who did not choose an abortion, if they had been in the same situation as the African-American mom who became pregnant, Maybe they would have had an abortion too, but that's one of the arguments out there, and and that racist argument I do not believe is supported. It it it's um it's a totally different situation, and to me, really, this is sort of a uh we're going to look at the general context, but then we're going to end up with case by case. All right, so that's that's the fifth big issue to me as I researched is it's racist, but um, I do not find support for that. So what abortion critics have said about this is that 
abortion is a racist issue because the numbers are so dramatically different among some races, all right? Well, that can look good on the surface, but what that totally discounts is a different situation for that group of people than this group of people. And the judgment of the particular women that are in those situations at that time. So I believe actually that the people who are saying this is a racist issue because it's different in the racist, they're the ones that are pulling the race card, okay? Because to me, um, those situations are, are not the same situation. And in almost anything in science, when you change the circumstances, it changes the results, okay? So um, uh, let's make sure I'm not a racist and you're not a racist when it comes to this number one most controversial issue. There's a sixth um, discussion out there that the abortion opponents would never punish women. That they are not trying to punish women. That, that uh, making abortion illegal is about protecting women, not punishing women. And the pro-life movement has often called the woman the second victim after the baby. All right? Well, uh, in, in 2017, uh, a law was passed in the state of Tennessee to put mothers in jail. If they take drugs or do anything else during their pregnancy that could negatively affect the fetus. In 2019, the governor of Alabama signed a new law that could put someone in jail up to 99 years for uh, facilitating or having abortion. And this 2019 Alabama bill would basically eliminate an abortion for almost any reason. Uh, not any reason. I think, I think for a woman like my mom, who's going to die if they don't have an abortion is an exception, but almost anything else, um, this bill makes it against the law, and if you facilitate that, including if you're the mom having the abortion, you should go to prison. Okay? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying whether we should do that or not. Whether a woman who has an abortion should be found guilty of murder or manslaughter or anything like that, uh, that's way over my pay grade. All I'm saying is there's an argument out there among pro-life that, oh, we would never do anything to punish or harm the woman, the mom, the whatever. Um, and I'm sure that's true with a lot of those people but the recent actions legally would not support that because there are multiple cases where they're going after the moms who are, who are in some cases maybe acting carelessly, but in other cases are trying their darndest to do the right thing and, and what is best. Um, Another argument out there is that 
basically the people having the abortions are bad people who don't believe in God, who don't believe in right and wrong, who just care about themselves, etc. Well, uh, that's not true. Uh, 81% of abortions last year, the mom or, or woman having the abortion said they did presently have a religious affiliation and still went and, and had the abortion. Um, and those are the seven discussion issues I found as I was researching, praying, meditating about talking about this today. And I think we need to start talking about them in love and kindness and with an open mind and heart, not yelling and screaming at each other and being willing to go down for the count with my prejudice and bias, but I'll never change my mind. Okay, that's, that's, um, that's not a healthy, good way to live. All right? So for me, this kind of comes down to, you know, the old law, as I already said, in religion was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The new law is love your enemies. All right? No matter what you think about religion, the Bible, the Torah, uh, Scripture, no matter what you think about all of that and what your opinion is, the one thing that I don't think is debatable is that having an abortion is clearly not the unforgivable sin from the Bible. It's not. It, it, it says what the unforgivable sin is in a general way in that passage, and many scholars have weighed in on exactly what that is. None of them have said it's abortion. Okay? What does that mean? It means even if someone has an abortion, the way I read the Bible and religious text, you can be forgiven for that. All right? And if God forgives, I should be willing to forgive. But, it, but, but it's even more than that. Okay? Um, so it's not the unforgivable sin. To me, what it comes down to is what we've talked a lot in these sessions about. Am I going to make the love-based choice that is in harmony with my conscience? Or am I going to make a selfish, self-interest choice out of fear. Okay? Not that you can't be forgiven of the fear-based selfish choice. And I'm not saying abortion is a selfish choice. I do think it's fear-based a lot. Okay? But I think, I think these are individual situations. You can't paint them all with one brush. You have to look at it individually. Um... The Indians used to have an expression, uh, never judge someone till you walk a mile in their moccasins. Um, and boy, have I found that to be true over my lifetime. Uh, so many clients I've had where um, you can't imagine why they would do what they did or not do what they didn't do until they start telling you the backstory. And then it's like, oh my goodness, wow, well, I can see that now. 
the first counseling session I ever had, uh, I sort of specialized in relationships. And this lady came in and told me her story uh, by herself. And by the end of it, I was ready to kill her husband. Her And I've already decided this is 100% the husband's fault. Then the husband comes in, tells me his side, and it sounds absolutely plausible. And now I'm thinking it's the wife's fault, all right? Um, There's a, a thing that I the professor wrote on the board in my very first ever psychology class. The problem is never the problem, okay? What people say the problem is, is only a symptom. The real problem is deeper. And that's really what I believe about this, is that each person has to dig down deep and say, okay, what is the right thing for me in this situation? And and by right, meaning what is love-based rather than what is fear-based. Okay? And I'm not here to tell you what that is for you or any particular situation in your life. Only if you don't do the due diligence to explore and discover what those things are, you very well may make the wrong decision because you just resonate to the fear-based instant gratification, seek pleasure, avoid pain, solution, all right? Where love says, no, 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 no. I want to do what is right, what is best for everyone concerned, what is love-based, what is not only best for right now, but what will be best still 20, 30, 40 years from now, okay? I'm going to get the advice of other people smarter than me. I'm going to read. I'm going to research. I'm going to pray. I'm going to meditate. And then after all of this and trying to have an open heart and mind and put my prejudices and biases to the side, I'm going to make a prayerful, spiritual, hopefully, decision. Okay? Um, I think that's all anyone can do. And um, there's an old expression, judgment is for God and small children. And I believe that's true here too. So, If you choose not to have an abortion, my job is to love you. If your decision is to have an abortion, my job is to love you. Okay? And um, that about sums it up for me. But let's talk. And, And I'm sure there's more than these seven major issues within abortion, but these are seven that I haven't seen as much um, that that I do think ought to be brought in for consideration uh, for the issue as a whole and each individual person as they wrestle and struggle with what is best and right for them. One little post-it note um, I'd like to give you before we close this here. Um, Every week, all week, I pray and meditate over what is going to happen during this time for me, and I I hope and pray for you. And yesterday, I believe it was, as I was praying and meditating, a thought came up that I'd never had before, and um, uh, that's usually God for me. 
when that happens. You can say that's love, that's your heart, but for me, that's God. And the thought was this. My mom went against the law and chose death for herself and life for me. The law said, yes, you should have an abortion in this situation. It was her choice, I know. They're not going to put her in jail if she doesn't have an abortion. But the law says, yes, in that situation, that is the best choice. So that's what we're going to make the law. Okay? You're in this situation, that's what we believe is best for all concerned. For the baby to be aborted and the mother to live. So, my mom went against the law, chose death for herself, life for me. Okay, if I could have been my age now and she could have asked me as the fetus or baby inside of her at the time, Alex, um, the doctor said that I should never get uh, pregnant again. If I did, it would kill me. I don't know how it happened, but we did get pregnant, and it's you, and I don't know what to do. I'm so scared, but I'd rather you live than me live. You know, if we could have had that conversation, and I could have had it from the mentality that I'm at today, or even 20 years ago, I, I feel confident. I would have said, no, Mom, abort me. You have a great life. I'll see you on the other side, okay? But the point is, she was trying to make the love decision in a situation where that is extremely difficult to do and, and, and maybe even extremely difficult to know what the love choice decision is, okay? Um, but because of that, I, I cannot condemn someone who goes against the law to choose life for self in order to spare a child of pain that, that they would have had to experience if they had lived. And again, that's going to be a unique uh Every situation is going to be different. Those are going to have to be evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis. What is the situation? Are they rich? Are they poor? Are they in a war zone? Is there illness and disease? Is there an abuser? I mean, there's so many parts to that, okay? Um, now, I said I can't condemn someone who goes against the law. Of course, the law today is that an abortion is legal in most cases, but even if it wasn't, what occurred to me this week is I can't condemn someone who, if they do go against the law and choose life for themselves, death for the fetus, if it's to spare the child pain, um, suffering the child would have had to go through, abuse, um, death, uh, whatever, all right? And, and, and the only people that know whether that decision is love-based or not is the mom and God. 
as far as I know. Okay? Um, I was told uh, by a biblical scholar, which I'm not, that there are five reasons in Scripture why God allows young people and children to die at an early age. And one of them is to avoid suffering they would have had to go through if they had lived. Okay? Now, if that's one of God's reasons, I don't know how I can adamantly say it can't be anyone else's reasons. Now, I know I'm not God. The mom who's trying to make the decision is not God. I understand that. But my point is, when the decision is as best that person can do, being made in love, trying to do what's best, considering everything, even if, even if they're wrong, even if their choice is wrong, if their intention, if they're, what they're going for is to do the right, best, love-based thing for everyone concerned, maybe even though they're in such pain and agony about the decision that it's about to kill them, but they're still trying to do what's best. Okay. Now, the other situation, what if the mom is aborting strictly just for selfish reasons. Okay? It's not for love. It's, it's that the, the, the lady had too much to drink, forgot the contraception, and, and that's the deal. Alright? Well, there's just no way I feel like I can condemn that mom no matter what she does because I don't know the reason for her decision. I don't know if it's fear-based or love-based. Only she and God know that. I know I have counseled lots of women um, before they had an abortion, after an abortion, thinking about an abortion, decades later from an abortion, things like that. And what I can absolutely tell you is that every woman and lady I've ever coached or worked with on any of these issues, they took the issue very seriously. They weren't making flippant decisions. Now, sometimes they made the wrong decision, sometimes they made a fear-based decision, but they weren't trying to do that. They were trying to do the best they could in that situation. Okay? So, to me, when you don't have a clear standard, let's say from ancient wisdom literature, and the law of the land is whatever the law of the land is at a certain time. You know, I, I believe people on opposite sides of this argument could throw rocks at each other for a hundred years and never really understand each other or come to a conclusion that, that is win-win-win. And I think one of the reasons for that is because one of the keys of whether it's a good choice or not is where that mom is in her heart as to why she's doing this, what her motives are, um, what her inspiration is, what her fears are, what her love is, what her... all of that, okay? And, and I've seen... I've seen uh, abortions happen where 
the mom was in so much agony and pain over what she was doing, I really wondered if the mom was going to die even though uh, everything was safe and clean and sterile and all that. She was just so ripped up inside about, well, that's love. Or at least it can be. So, anyway, about this number one most controversial issue in the world. I think that's where I'll end. Is, um, to me, is it love-based or fear-based? What's, what's the why? What's the reason? And here's the question I'm going to end it with. Is it possible for a woman or young lady to choose an abortion and do it in love and for love-based reasons? And if that is possible, then I don't see how we can have any sweeping mandate against that woman doing what she believes is best and right and love-based. Now, if she's wrong, you know, we try to counsel her and stuff like that. But my answer to that question is yes. Yes, it is possible for a woman to choose an abortion and be doing it from a place of love and um, for love-based reasons. Now, does that happen every time? No way. No, I'm, I'm just as sure of that as I am sure that there's women who make the choice in love. I'm just as sure that there are women who don't make the choice in love. So that would be my two cents. If you're in this or close to it or if it's your daughter or granddaughter or, or friend or neighbor or whatever and they're wrestling with it, do the love-based choice. Okay? After you've gone through all the other issues, what is the most loving thing to do in this situation, as difficult as it is? Thank you, and have a wonderful, blessed day.